Hello and welcome to the Blockade Runner Podcast number 217. My name is John. Joining me is Ryan. What's up, Ryan? Whoops, hmm? I was on mute because <laughs> I was drinking some water. Oh, okay. uh, All right. Hello, hi, good morning. Good afternoon. Yeah, good morning. Yeah. Um, Ryan, there. Um, I was texting you earlier. I was like, I don't know. Should we do a show? Should we not do a show? And then I started doing the notes and there was like a million stories that I put in here. Um, so this is all news today. A lot of them are like little things, but they're all things I wanted to talk about. So I think we're going to have um, something of a lightning round episode today. Uh, many right. topics. Yeah, many topics that we can touch on, but, you know, probably five minutes is enough time to devote to them. So um, that's kind of the idea here. Uh, there's a there's a couple at the top that might be a little bit bigger stories, but otherwise it's a bunch of Kenobi and Celebration tidbits that I think we can uh, we can just uh, talk about quickly. So anyway, let's uh, let's jump into it. We got a bunch of Star Wars news as we uh, are uh, now one week away from Star Wars month and from Star Wars Celebration and from Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I think things are um, going to be heating up here. Um, and that's been the, the feeling for the last few weeks. So we're moving in that direction. Things are heating up. There's a lot of stories, a lot of, a lot of things happening, um, in sort of the prelude to what is going to be a pretty enormous May for Star Wars. So first thing is, um, out of nowhere the other day, uh, Lucasfilm games and Skydance new media announced a new Star Wars game that is coming from, um, Amy Hennig and uh, Amy Hennig uh, listeners will remember was working on a Star Wars game for EA previously. And then that game was canceled. Um, she is a, uh, a very well-respected and uh, uh, well-known director in the video game world. Um, most notably, I think and Ryan, you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, but most notably, I think for the uncharted series, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, she worked a lot with Naughty Dog. Um, she worked on the Jack and Daxter games. Um, her de- design debut was on uh, the Super Nintendo game, uh, Michael Jordan, Chaos in the Windy City. Is that uh, right? Yeah, if you've ever okay. played that. Um, but I would say, for me personally, the... My favorite things she worked on was the Legacy of Kane series. Mm, okay, but, is that yeah. kind of a new metal uh, video game series? Is that the? Uh, is it does it have a bit of a new metal aesthetic? Ryan, would you say? Um, I would say. Let's see. I don't know anything about it. I, I just yeah. I, I, it's I, not they... like. It's not like Prince of Persia: Warrior Within. It's like. It's like Goth Zelda. I guess mm-hmm. is is how I'd put it. It's like it's uh it's not new metal. It's very um like maybe the aesthetic is like there a bit, but it's very like it it's very in the vein of like Anne Rice style vampire stuff and like um Vampire the Masquerade, that sort of thing where it's like very like depressed vampires uh <laughs> happening but with like you know s- some of the games are more action than the others but like then there's also like a lot of like zelda-esque um puzzle solving and stuff um that yeah. sounds good um when, when you said goth zelda i was thinking more like wallet chain goth and less and like baggy like pants goth than less like Robert Smith goth, but, but maybe not, you know, as you describe like the, and yeah, thing, maybe, I, I yeah. think like, yeah, maybe it's just like look, the fonts and the packaging that are a little more like wallet chain. Goth. Yeah. I was going to say goth. like the, the marketing is a little hotel goth, but, um, what's actually in there is, uh, you know, some really like ambitious, like epic, like there's a timeline for the, for the series kind of, stuff but um gothic okay because when you uh because yeah and so like back to amy hennig um mm. i know of her i haven't even really played these games i played like an hour of one of them but um i know her mostly for uncharted and then think of her um as this person who's really well known for storytelling in video games right um which sounds like that lines up with like legacy of kane um by yeah. the way you're describing it definitely uncharted and i don't know the, what the legacy of daxter 
Okay. Well, those are two two kind of different things. Like, I mean, I think like, so what trying to like bring this back to Star Wars, um, I think the the legacy of Kane connection is what's most exciting for Star Wars, because these were like really dense. These games are and I haven't even like finished all of them um, because they also like are sometimes really hard Um, (laughs) because they're games from the early 2000s. Um, There's like, there's definitely like a story Bible and there's like deep lore and like complex characters and tons of gray area. Um, Like a lot of looking into like character relationships and, um, and those being very complex in the series, um, you know, for what they are. Um, and then like, you know, Jack and Dexter are just, uh, fun. There is actually a, a new metal, uh, in Ed- edgelord Jack and Dexter game, uh, Jack two, which like tried to be grand theft auto and he, Jack had, uh, a goatee in it, um, and was like real angry. Um, so that was that was a fun uh, mid two thousands thing that happened. Sounds like my kind of Jack and Dexter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a platformer you can play when you're pissed at your parents. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we need one of those in the Star Wars, uh, like a Star Wars branded version of that. You know what I mean? I don't think that's what this project she's working on now is, but um, that sounds right. like something that'd be good. A Star Wars game you can play when you're pissed at your parents. I mean, that's probably Force Unleashed, honestly. Okay, right, yeah. um, it's just released on the uh, Switch. Last I know. Week. I'm uh, yeah. I'm going to order a physical copy um, okay. from Limited Run Games, which I'll get in two years. Um, but then, like, the Uncharted series is, like, those are, you know, based on, like, the same serials that, uh, or inspired by the same serials that, um, you know, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were inspired by for the Indiana Jones series. Like they're, they're cut from that same cloth. So, mm-hmm. um, and you know, there's, I think like she's a great creator because she's worked on all these like different things. She's worked on like the mostly kid friendly, um, like kids to tween stuff with Jack and Dexter, um, which is, you know, that's part of star star Wars audience, the lore heavy, epic gothic stuff with legacy of kane and then like the fun action serial with like you know also like the uncharted series has like great character drama and character interactions as well so like she really is like the perfect person to kind of helm a star wars game and get the feel right and so that's why it was so disappointing when her first star wars game was canceled yeah. Um, so am I, uh, I'm learning about her, uh, through mm-hmm. your comments here, Ryan, which is good. But, um, you know, my initial reaction to this was like, well, this is going to be, um, the pinnacle of star Wars storytelling in a video game. Like this is like, this is the storytelling video game director. Like this is the, the, the video game director that's, that's known for like really great stories. Am I maybe getting ahead of myself thinking like, this is going to be like, we're going to have a story first star Wars game more so than we've ever had a, a story first star Wars game. Um, cause I think of uncharted is like tons of like cinematics and like, um, in, in very narrative driven, like gameplay mm-hmm. almost to the point where there is some ludo narrative dissonance. If, uh, if I, if, if I got <laughs> oh, that yeah. term correct, right. Like where the gameplay and what you're actually doing in the game isn't necessarily always making the most sense in terms of like the story being told, but yep. it's one of those things where like, the story is, is really, um, you know, the primary element. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, well, we got, we're, you know, we're going to make a game that's fun to play hopefully, and, you know, gives you stuff to do, but, um, yeah, it's, it's very story focused, right? Story first mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So should I expect that? Do you think from this star Wars game and, you know, or am I, am I making some assumptions or maybe getting ahead of myself? I mean, I, th- I think it will, I, it won't be it won't be like Knights of the Old Republic, Star Wars story 
depth in a game. Um, I, I'm not expecting that because I think that's kind of like the the pinnacle for original Star Wars storytelling in a video game is the KOTOR games. Um, but yeah, I could see this one being pretty narrative driven and like possibly like a lot of set pieces, um, which I think would be cool and that would align with like the vibe of a of a star wars film is you know you you i think what's cool about the uncharted games is like a lot of like 3d action like third person shooter games like i've i've played a decent amount especially in like the you know late like 2010 or something when that was like every video game um but like the uncharted games like i don't remember any of the shooting i don't remember any like combat scenario or anything but i do remember some of like the you know the the drama in like some of the cutscenes and i do remember the set pieces like um you know i remember you know drake hanging from the the train in um uncharted 2 and like the the chase through the village and uncharted four and like stuff like that. Those are memorable. And I think that's kind of like how star Wars works. Like you remember yeah. like the death star trench run and like the throne room scene in last Jedi, like those kind of like moments that are like telling a story, but it's also like, it's a set piece. It's a big visual spectacular. Yeah. And as somebody who's never played KOTOR and doesn't really know what he's talking about, um, I, I did, of course, think of that as like one of the big Star Wars, like one of the big story focused Star Wars games. Um, but and correct me if I'm wrong here, but that seems like something where it's the kind of storytelling that um, uh, how do I put this like more um, uh, video game storytelling in the sense that like the player has more control over outcomes and, mm-hmm. you know, you're making choices about things and like, I mean, you can. Yeah. Um, so anyways, and whereas like, uh, I'm thinking of this as being like a almost sit down and watch a movie kind of story, uh, which maybe KOTOR has that kind of thing too. Um, no. and I don't mean this in like a negative way, but just like, mm. we're going to define the story for you and you're going to, you're going to be part of it unfolding, but it's mm-hmm. a very controlled, very defined story in a cinematic sort of way versus like a game like KOTOR, which I is expect, which I, uh, suspect is a very complicated game on like multiple levels, systems, uh, choices, you know, and it all builds in in this complicated story because it's, it's this huge, massive game with a lot of things going on. Whereas this would be a more based on her previous work, this would be a more focused singular, um, not so much like the, the, the player is really determining outcomes, but just buckle in because this is going to be like a great star Wars story and you're along for the ride. Would that be a fair? I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's what, you know, I mean, at least that's kind of what I think people are expecting from this. Um, and I mean, who knows? Maybe it will be like a multiplayer looter shooter or something <laughs> um, or a battle royale game or something. You like you never know. Like there's always it's the like, sequel to Star Wars Hunters, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're the. The monkey Zynga paw is the silent partner they haven't uh, mentioned yet. <laughs> oh my god! Um, the, the monkey paw is real um, with uh, with video game announcements when it's like you're getting a sequel, but it's in this like genre sure. that you don't want to play. Sure. Um, so yeah. Okay. So we'll I want to move on to the next. I want to move on to the next story, but um, one more thing I want to kind of ask about here um, is there. And, and, you know, I don't want to like start, you know, analyzing contracts and like trying to get all legal or whatever, but I'm just curious. She was working on a Star Wars game for EA for quite a while, and then it got canceled. The rug pulled out from her uh, under her. Um, Obviously, I would assume in most cases, like if she's, you know, left EA working for a different studio, you know, whatever, um, that there's no chance of incorporating or using any of that work. But, um, with star Wars, you know, I don't know what the deal is with EA, with the studio she was working for at the time. Like does Lucasfilm retain ownership of the, of the stuff that she was doing then? Is it joint ownership? Like, is there any kind of, um, 
because I'm also thinking as this game is announced, like, so what does this come out like 2029 or like when, when is this game actually, because it's not like we're seeing footage of it at celebration this year. This thing is going to be a ways away. So I wonder, um, and I, I don't think we have any way of knowing, right. But I wonder if, um, it's going to be, if, if this can be kind of a pickup, at least somewhat where we left off or, you know, make use of a lot of the work. Cause I was surprised to see she's coming back. Um, as we talked about, I was surprised to see she's coming back to star Wars. Cause usually, you know, like, um, if you have a, uh, acrimonious exit from working on some kind of, you know, project or, you know, franchise or whatever, it's not that likely you're coming back to it. Right. But, mm-hmm. um, it was EA. It wasn't Lucasfilm as far as I know, it right. was EA who canceled that game. And so why not come back and work with Lucasfilm, especially since, this studio spy was it new. I don't know, but the, I forget the name of the studio, but whatever it is, it's probably kind of her thing. Right. So yeah, sky dance. So like, you know, anyway, it all makes sense. I'm just wondering, can she use any of that work that they've done? And, uh, that, that would be, um, really interesting to, to learn about. And I'm sure we will eventually someday, but, uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, if they were developing, um, I don't remember when they showed that first footage of ragtag, which was like the, the code word for, and it was like that it was like someone walking through like a town. Um, and it was like, whoa, this looks amazing um, at the time, which it probably just looks like a video game now, <laughs> um, years later. But um, my guess is if they were using like an internal EA in- engine, that EA would probably hold on to that if it was like the Dice Frostbite engine or something. Um, I would I would think that they would probably still have ownership of that, but I'm pretty sure that like any, you know, any of like the the story, the the art design, the characters, anything that was like on the creative end of it um locations yeah all of that i think that would still be under lucasfilm lucasfilm games cool yeah yeah that makes a ton of sense right like they're not going to actually be able to take the code and stuff that ea was working on but um it's just a difference of starting from scratch like let's create characters let's create a story let's create a conflict you know let's figure all those things out I, i feel like that's like probably a year worth of work right there or something you know that is either going to have to be, you know, forgotten and started over or maybe is able to be used. And, um, cause that'd be cool. Like, you know, if you think about her and the team that she was working with, um, I'm sure some of them are still at EA. I don't remember the, the details of the studios and all that stuff, but just like generally speaking, you know, you put your heart and soul and a lot of time into a project and then the rug gets pulled out from under you. Um, it's kind of a nice thought to think that maybe, this represents being able to go back and salvage some of that stuff and, and, uh, you know, go from feeling like maybe you wasted a lot of time on something that (laughs) was taken away from you to having a chance to actually, you know, make that happen again. I think that would be really cool. Yeah. And I think it also, um, just final note on this, it shows the faith that Lucasfilm and Lucasfilm games have in Mm. her and her project and her team. Like this is something they they want like right. because i mean honestly like you know, they could pretty much go to any studio and be like hey do you want to make a star wars game and you know they've kind of done that <laughs> um you know we get one of these press releases every six months like oh here's you know the star wars game with with ubisoft or you know whatever whatever other ones and but it's cool that they're like no we really want this game to happen we yeah. really want a game from you to happen. And yeah, and you nice. have to, yeah, yeah, for sure. And you have to wonder too, if like stuff like this happening, if they really did want to see this game and they wanted to work with her, you know, or they were happy, et cetera. Um, if stuff like that uh, contributed to them being like, you know what, let's, let's um, end this exclusivity thing with EA a little early <laughs> and uh, have options, mm. you know what I mean? In terms of, like, cause that's, I mean, potentially that's ultimately what this is, right? Like we were making this game with EA, EA decided no. Um, and so we can do it with somebody else. You know what I mean? Still Amy Hennig, but like, you know what I mean? Like we can, 
let's let's work with um with a publisher that's not going to uh you know bury the whole thing or cancel it or whatever so uh who knows just just wild speculation there okay let's talk about Andor Ryan, um, mm-hmm. we you shared this with me uh, yesterday. I think it's from Star Wars Newsnet, um, but apparently the director of photography for um, Andor is uh, someone by the name of Adriano Goldman, and um, he was um, doing an interview for Brazilian TV um, and said uh, that Andor was supposed to be five seasons long but that he thinks it's now going to be three seasons maybe. So this is not, you know, based on that phrasing, not exactly like concrete information necessarily. But, um, you know, I remember a few months ago or whenever it was when, when I kind of heard that they would be doing a second season of Andor, I was like, Oh sweet. Cause you know, it, it sort of felt like maybe it would be a limited series, um, a la Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, uh, one and done sort of thing, especially since it's kind of just filling in, you know, part of casting Andor's story before Rogue One. So, um, yeah, I'm just really intrigued by the idea that this show Andor, um, apparently, you know, was conceived and developed as a sort of big multi season, you know, story. That's, uh, that's interesting to learn. And it also just makes me kind of, uh, I wouldn't say reevaluate cause I really don't know what to think about Andor yet, but it, it mm-hmm. makes me kind of think about the show a little differently than I had been. Cause you know, again, until I heard about the second season, I was thinking it was probably a one season show. Um, and now, you know, it feels like, sounds like that's not really ever been the idea and that, um, it's always been envisioned as a, as a larger project. So, uh, I think that's kind of exciting and definitely surprising and interesting. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely surprised. I don't I don't know what I w- was expecting. I guess I was like, oh, this will be a, you know, one or two seasons of like six episodes show. Um and uh yeah, I mean, hearing that it was originally planned for five that I think like what I think what's a little um, challenging about that is like just the way TV works. Like in general, it's like, you know, one to one and a half years between seasons. And it's like, are we ready to be like watching an Andor series over the course of the next five to seven years? Um, Like, Sure. Um, but also like that seems it just seems like a really long time. Um, yeah. So for for me, I think three seasons is like more than I was expecting. And also, yeah, like you were saying, it makes me kind of reevaluate like, whoa, what is the scope of this show? Mm-hmm. Um, like how uh um, how how deep are we going here? Um, and yeah, and like seeing in this article, they said the first season is 12 episodes, which yeah. is the longest Star Wars season we've had since Resistance. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, certainly for live action, right? Because I don't I don't how many episodes is uh a Mandalorian, I'm not sure, but I mean, Bad Batch was like 16 or something like that. So but animated oh. shows, you know, but okay. I, I think there's yeah. a difference between the animated show, like the lengths and, uh, you know, uh, I mean, Resistance was still airing on TV. So those are 22 minute episodes. You know what I mean? Right. And, um, and yeah, you know, you, look, we've talked about it as we've covered animated shows on this podcast. Uh, those seasons have a sort of a different kind of, um, you know, narrative trajectory where it's like you have a couple like big arcs, you know, and then you have some of these like smaller stories, like cartoon TV show stories. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, here's the one where C-3PO and R2-D2 have to go out and get a maloon run fruit or whatever for Padme. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You don't really see those kinds of episodes so much in the live action things, especially probably something that's going to be as sort of, I don't know, um, for star Wars anyways, mature or sort of like, 
you know, I want to say sophisticated, um, as what I'm kind of thinking this I, Andor I, series is going I to be. I think that's going to be the vibe, and I, yeah. I think that's okay. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, I think, um, you know, probably most useful is to compare it to the the live action shows in terms of, you know, uh, episode runs and lengths and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think Mandalorian is usually, is it 10? Eight or 10 episodes, I think? Um, something Sounds like that. That's right, yeah. Yeah, pretty sure. Um, I'm yeah, I'm pretty sure they're eight. So anyway, um, yeah, it's a lengthier, lengthier, uh, run for, um, you know, the episodes and, and, um, I'd be curious to see what the length of those is. One nice thing about Disney plus is that, you know, sometimes you can have an episode that's 42 minutes and then you can follow it up with one that's 58 minutes the next week. And, you mm-hmm. know, you can kind of just use as much time as you need to tell the story you need to tell. But, uh, yeah, um, I think 12 episodes sounds pretty, pretty exciting. Um, pretty good. So, uh, definitely looking forward to, you know, um, settling in with Andor for a couple months and really following that show week to week. Uh, it seems like the one, the kind of show that could definitely have some cliffhangers and mysteries from week to week, you know, some intrigue. Um, and I think that's really fun for weekly TV, uh, as well when you can't just, you know, Netflix style, like immediately watch the next episode. Um, so that'll be really, pretty fun i think too um and 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 this whole thing about like how many seasons it's going to be and things like that uh it, it it's uh it sheds a little bit of light although it doesn't totally explain it but sheds a little bit of light on the alan tudyk thing too because you'll remember he was initially kind of like oh yeah alan tudyk is going to be in Andor, and then it was like oh well no i'm not in it um at least not the first season and uh this article on star wars Newsnet. um says that he's confirmed for season two. So, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, Hey, you know, maybe when they're getting the show ready to go, you know, Alan Tudyk, we want you to be in this show. And then he's like, cool, I'm in the show. And then it's like, well, actually the way we're plotting it out, it's yeah. not going to be until season two that Cassian hooks up with you or whatever. So, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, just the fact that it's maybe always been a multi season plan, you know, makes mm-hmm. that make a little more sense. Cause otherwise it was kind of like, dude, insulting to, uh, Alan Tudyk, you know what I mean? Like he's out there saying he's in the show and then he's got to be like, well, uh, they didn't want me actually maybe next time, you know, it's kind of a weird thing, but (laughs) from a certain point of view. (laughs) Yeah. If it's just the way it was plotted out, you know, then that makes a little more sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm so excited to see stuff from this show. Like, cause I really, I'm like, I think I know what the vibe of it's going to be, but also, like, I don't. So, because sure. <laughs> yeah. we don't, because we haven't seen anything. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm also, like, ready for what it, what I think it is, but I'm also ready to be surprised as well. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. I cannot wait to see footage, I'm sure, um, next month at Celebration. We're definitely going to get some good and or content. Um, Ryan, I know you're equally excited for... Star Wars Day, May 4th, and uh, I think the first kind of original content we know about for Star Wars Day um, is this Disney Gallery episode for the Book of Boba Fett. So that's going to be releasing on Disney Plus on Star Wars Day, and uh, according to Disney, this special will explore the -the behind-the-scenes story of the legendary bounty hunter's return to Tatooine with mercenary Fennec Shand seeking to claim the territory once run by Jabba the Hutt. So that's just a quick summary of one of your favorite TV shows, uh, Ryan. And then um, in addition to that, we know that in this insightful new special, filmmakers, cast, and crew reveal never-before-seen footage, groundbreaking technology, and the practical effects that brought it all to deepfake life. So... um, yeah, that, that special is coming on, on May 4th. Um, so I don't even think I need to throw to you. I know we know you're excited. I know you're excited, you know, so, um, cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, no, uh, friendship with Robert Rodriguez ended. Uh, (laughs) so this, uh, is not on my, this is not the most exciting, um, May 4th, uh, Mm. announcement for me i think you know i guess like seeing tem and ming na wen um and the 
people who directed the two good episodes of this show um, will be cool. Uh, but I think most of this is going to be like, I don't, e- I don't even want to know how you made your episodes that sucked ass. Like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I don't like that garbage you made me sit through. Like, I don't care how it was made. Mm. <laughs> like, but there might be some good stuff in there. I don't know. You, you'll watch it and you'll tell me. I will. Okay. Yeah. Just sort of like the uh, Boba Fett special on Disney plus it came out before the book of Boba Fett. I will watch mm-hmm. it and I will fill you in under the helmet or whatever that was called. Yeah. Um, but no, I always find, you know, behind the scenes stuff interesting. Uh, you know, so I think I'll enjoy it. Ryan, you don't really like the, uh, the rise of Skywalker. And yet I believe you, uh, quite enjoyed the documentary when I, you know, I encourage you to watch it. Right. So that's true. That was good. Um, that was a good, di- yeah, I like that, but that also didn't have Robert Rodriguez in it. So I was going to say, like, I don't think I want to go down the road of asking you, like, you know, which which project you like more or less between Book of Boba Fett and, and Rise of Skywalker and which creative team you respect more or less or, yeah. you know, like it's if into the archives I go, I might. Suck. Oh, come on. All right. OK. Um, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, you know, I watched uh, Alita Battle Angel and I can tell you after I watched that, I was not chomping at the bit to watch the making of. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, uh, that is coming. It's, um, you know, not, I don't know though. Uh, I was going to say it's, it's probably not the Disney gallery I'm most excited for. And you know, that's true, but at the same time, there were some confounding decisions made in that show. And I do remember like, (laughs) as we were talking about the show week to week, we were kind of like, or at least I was like, man, uh, I hope they address this on the Disney gallery, you know, or I want to hear somebody talk about this choice on the Disney gallery. So Uh I think it'll be interesting. Um, and uh yeah uh, but i, I don't, I don't want to hear anyone's excuses for that <laughs> all right okay. we're done we're moving on all right let's move on to obi-wan kenobi um because yes. we we talked some general news stories here um as uh we are in the hype cycle of course there are some some little stories popping up here and there about obi-wan kenobi we're learning more all the time uh first story actually dropped earlier this week and is a pretty um, interesting, exciting. Natalie Holt is uh, confirmed to be composing the music for the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. So um, this was broken by Variety, or no, Vanity Fair and uh, Anthony Bresnikan, actually, the Bres. Um, yeah. So that was cool. And uh, there's a little um, interview with Natalie Holt over there. I was not familiar with the name Natalie Holt, but um, she has worked on stuff like Loki, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um and some other shows. And so, uh, she is going to be doing, uh, Kenobi. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that I was interested in is, is, uh, the Brez there was kind of asking her a couple times about, uh, the Mandalorian and the style there. And maybe if this show would have a similarly kind of unique or different, um, style in terms of music. And she was pretty, I think she was pretty adamant that like, no, I'm going to definitely kind of go in the direction of star Wars music. You know, like it's not going to be really like a, a left turn the way the, the music for the Mandalorian was. Um, but she did mention that there are some, some different sounds and some, some unique sounds and things that, you know, she looked for, um, you know, di- different things, unique instrumentation, um, some electronic elements, things that, you know, wouldn't be part of, uh, a star Wars saga, you know, score or whatever. Um, but, uh, it sounds like we should expect it to be definitely more in the traditional, you know, star Wars vein in terms of star Wars, uh, soundtracks, music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I can say that, um, I watched Loki, um, mm. and I was, it was kind of hit and miss for me. Um, the show, in general, but the, I did actually notice the music as a standout. Um, when I was watching it, there's, um, some, there's like one super iconic theme that I think people have like talked about a lot. I think it's mentioned in this interview of like the, the ticking clock theme, I guess. I don't know what it's actually called. Um, but it was like, there's a lot of like really moody, um, string stuff in there. And, um, it, she mentioned in this interview that she's a violinist and she actually plays on some of these, some of the songs for, um, 
the the obi-wan show which is which is interesting so like i'm and it it makes sense like when we think about what this show is going to be like it's there is going to be like a lot of um you know kind of de- depressing isolating moments in this show and so i think having you know a like a classically trained violinist like leading the production um make is like a really good pick um and i mean i think yeah because i think it's it's gonna be a moody show um but you know she also like cites her love of john williams work and like et and everything so i think there's there's going to be those moments of like um you know really uh big bombastic rising um powerful themes as well but i think uh yeah it just seems like a a really perfect fit and Mm. uh first uh woman to compose a live action star wars project as well which is very cool Yep. Correct. Yeah. Um, and, uh, two things real quick on this and then we'll move on. Uh, there is a quote from her in here where she's quoting, um, John Williams. Uh, and this is in reference to the fact that John Williams is writing the theme for Obi-Wan Kenobi mm-hmm. himself. Mm-hmm. And then she's composing the rest of the score. Uh, so apparently John Williams told Kathleen Kennedy, I just want to write Benny a theme. Um, so <laughs> I, uh, I thought that was cute. And, uh, yeah, you know, I've never really thought of um, uh, uh, of of Obi Wan Kenobi as of Ben Kenobi as Benny, you know, Benny Kenobi. But I'm going to add that to the repertoire here. I think that's kind of fun. Um, the other thing, uh, I, I went and you know read a little bit about Natalie Holt because, as I said, I wasn't familiar with her. Um, so apparently, before her her kind of like scoring um, and composing like uh, career had really gone too far. I mean, she had been, I guess she'd been doing it for, um, a few years at least, but, uh, you know, in 2013, she was performing in the backing orchestra, um, for a performance on the show, Britain's got talent. I don't know. Um, not really familiar with that, but obviously like we have the show America's got talent here, never seen it. So I don't know too much about it, but, um, you know, it's probably as Rivers Cuomo put it, uh, best one of those stupid singing shows or whatever. Right. So, mm, uh, mm. anyway, um, she got up and threw eggs at Simon Cowell, um, in protest of his dreadful influence over the music industry. Um, so <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, yep. Walked on stage and threw eggs at Simon Cowell protesting his dreadful influence on the music business. So kind of, uh, I mean, Obi-Wan's a rebel, right? Um, Star Wars is full of rebels and sounds like she's got a little bit of a rebellious streak herself. And, uh, as somebody who, who, uh, doesn't really love those kinds of shows and thinks they, they are kind of not great for the music industry and, and, mm-hmm. and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. I think that's kind of cool. Um, that rules. I also, yeah, yeah. yeah. The cynical part of me is like, well, everything in reality TV is kind of staged, so I don't know. Mm. But um, it doesn't seem like somebody cool like this who's, you know, um, getting great jobs and, and composing music and stuff would be like, oh, yeah, cool. I'll do your stunt for, you know. So I would assume it, it was it was real. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. An interesting kind of cool thing. Maybe that'll come up more in uh, in future coverage of, of yeah, I, I feel like those shows lack the self-awareness to write something like that in, um, and realize how like God awful they are. So yeah, that could be, because like, I think they think they're good. <laughs> and I yeah. think like Simon Cowell thinks he's good. And, uh, yeah, 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 it could be, so. um, something we know is good, Ryan, mm-hmm. are the Star Wars animated shows. And, um, someone who's learned that they're good is Hayden Christensen, because, uh, <laughs> apparently in preparation for the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, he went back and, uh, and watched those shows. Um, he went back and watched the, uh, the series. Um, apparently Ewan McGregor went back and watched all the movies. He watched all nine movies mm-hmm. to get, to get mm-hmm. into things. But, uh, yeah, Hayden uh, jumped in and um, watched 
the animated shows. Um, and, uh, you know, makes a lot of sense, obviously, because there's so many hours of Anakin Skywalker storytelling, um, you know, it, through animation that Hayden wasn't directly involved in telling. So, you know, if you're going to play that character again, I think it makes obviously a lot of sense to, to do that. Um, and uh, his quote about the shows is to say it was interesting. They did a lot with those characters in those shows, and they did further explore the relationship. There was some interesting stuff to learn about there. It was great fun uh, getting to go back and reimmerse yourself in this world that just continues to grow and become more and more vast. So, um, yeah, cool, cool someone, to hear. Someone ask sure. him at the at the Q and A at Celebration. Ask him what he thought about the Mortis arc. <laughs> uh, Stand up uh, and do that, John. Maybe, maybe I could follow up my, my question to, uh, Warwick Davis, um, about the, the music being changed in Return of the Jedi. Um, that was in 1999 when I asked that question, um, at a panel. So, you know, Mm. um, that's the last time I've asked a question at a panel at Celebration. Good on you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but now, you know, this could be my triumphant return. So, uh, uh, let's make the audience as uncomfortable as possible. Yeah. (laughs) surprisingly Warwick Davis was like, uh, yeah, it's cool. You know, I like the old song. The, the new one's good also. You know what I mean? I'm not too worried about it. That was pretty much, um, if I remember correctly, his response. So, okay. uh, yeah. In other words, like, don't be a dork. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, so I've, I've tried to stop being a, such a dork since then, but yeah, I think that's uh, like the response to like all every, every question at a Q and a. Yeah. 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 Uh, our friend Landis, uh, Ryan, our mutual friend Landis. Um, mm-hmm. I have him on tape somewhere at Star Wars Celebration 2 um, back at our hotel room uh, doing an impersonation of the people that get up and uh, ask questions at panels. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty good because uh, he's like, you know, well, I want to thank you for being here. And then I want to thank the audience for being here. Then I also like to thank myself for asking this question, you know, it's like people at panels, they get up and uh-huh. they do these long the preambles, preamble. and you're like, the preamble, would you yep. just ask a question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, um, trying not to be that guy. Um, okay. A couple more little, um, <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi stories here. This one is uh, tangential and uh, I have to give a, st- a shout out here to Star Wars, uh, Holocron on Twitter, um, for sharing this quote from Nicholas Cage. Um, I-, I went and looked into it a little bit cause I wanted to make sure it was legit. Um, it is from 2015. So this is not a recent comment from Nicholas Cage, but it is beautiful nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, uh, referring to Hayden Christensen's performance in the star Wars prequels. He says, Nicholas Cage, he says, I saw the work that Hayden did with George Lucas and I was very impressed with Hayden's edgy, dangerous, dark, and still soulful performance. I thought it was superb. I really connected with him. Um, and so I think the haters need to just probably shut the hell up at this point, because if Mm -hmm. Nicholas Cage is out there saying, look, buddy, that was acting, um, then I, for one, am going to take his word for it. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about this for a while. Oh, so, okay. Uh, for a while. So, I, yeah, I just uh, watched The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. I saw it yesterday. Um, it's basically a Star Wars movie um, because it has Nicolas Cage, who commented on Hayden Christensen's uh, role in the prequels, it has uh, Pedro Pascal. Who plays Din in The Mandalorian, and uh, Star Wars is mentioned by name in the film. It doesn't have Samuel L. Jackson. No. Okay. Uh, he's just he's in most things, so I assumed he was. He is in, in most it, but, things. Um, yeah, but he's not in this one. But it's still. Also, um, don't forget that Nicolas Cage is a Coppola, so that's a Star Wars connection as well. That is true. Yeah. yeah. So it's basically canon, um, <laughs> and so yeah, and you know Nicolas Cage. Um, there was this amazing featurette. I saw this because um, we, we we saw it at Alamo, which is where we see all of our movies, Alamo Draft House. Um, shout out to Brandon. Uh, there, the pre-show, half hour pre-show, amazing. It was um, half of it uh, was um, Nicolas Cage doing a live reading of Edgar Allan Poe's Telltale Heart. And it was literally him just standing on a stage reading it it was beautiful amazing uh moving incredible um and then there was um they actually did a 
deep dive on um, Nicolas Cage's acting style. And like, um, not, it was like, it was fun, but it wasn't like jokey. It was like, yeah, this is, this dude acts in a way that most people don't act. And he's been doing it since the 80s. Like, and he's been like consistently, you know, this. Um, and he uh, refers to it as uh, Nouveau Shamanic. Nouveau Shamanic acting. That's how he refers to his acting um, as well. And so they went through like, m- like scenes from his like best performances and, um, and all that and um or his biggest performances i should say and turns out pretty much every movie that nicholas cage has been in has like a big performance moment at least one even stuff like you wouldn't like really expect like i hadn't seen you know um something like face off in 20 years and i was like whoa this is like some nicholas cage ass nicholas cage right here um and so yeah that's uh that's all in there so basically like it this is cool that this is like popping up now and like you you shared this with me last night or this morning or whatever and like it just it really resonated cuz i had just watched you know 15 minutes of like unpacking you know, his very particular acting style um, and like kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, I kind of already knew it in my heart because like I love so many movies he's in and I love his performances. But like Nicolas Cage really is one of the best actors ever. Like he he really is like and I think like he's kind of like sometimes like a meme and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. But um, he like the 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 things that he does and the way he commits and the extremes he takes things to is just it's incredible like and um and then you know uh massive talent was a little bit of like an unpacking of all that as well so like it's just very serendipitous that like this story would be shared and i think getting a compliment on a performance from Nicolas Cage really does go a long way. Like that mm-hmm. is really meaningful. Um, and honestly, I think like, I think you're right. I think the book is closed on criticism for Hayden Christensen's acting and performance in the prequels. Like we knew like that book's been closed forever yeah. for us. Cause yeah. we knew it was yeah. great. And now yeah. I think, you know, now as of 2015, it's really been confirmed. Yeah. Yeah. Have to agree. Absolutely. Um, speaking of great actors, Ryan, speaking mm. of great actors, Liam Neeson, uh, Liam Neeson was asked recently if he would like to play Qui-Gon Jinn again. And, uh, Liam Neeson says, Oh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. If it was a film. Yeah, I'm a bit of a snob when it comes to TV, I must admit. I like the big screen, you know? Qui-Gon, I can't believe it's 24 years since we made The Phantom Menace. I just cannot believe where the time has gone. It was a terrific experience shooting that film in London. Um, So, uh, yeah, I guess the question is, is this an honest uh, response? Or is he doing a little bit of the Jedi mind trick? Uh, in this situation. And if he is, are we Toydarians in this scenario where we're seeing through mm. that Jedi mind trick? You know, what do you think? You're some kind of Jedi waving your hand around with yeah, that stuff? Yeah. Or um, is this legit? Or is he is he fooling us, you know? And it, we believe him, we take him at his word, but then he's going to pop the hell up in Obi-Wan Kenobi. What do you think? I mean, for one, I think like some, you know, he, he even prefaces it by saying like, I'm a, I'm a bit of a snob and I think like some people will interpret that, you know, in, in this way, but like, I respect the hell out of him for saying that, you know, like, um, to, you know, be like, you know, this, this right here, this, uh, 
this acting this portfolio, is- this IMDb page, this taken <laughs> one through three, like this shit belongs making- on the big screen. Yeah, he's been making taken or like ripoffs of his own movie taken for like the last five or six years, like two a year, you know? Yeah. And they've He's all been in work. theaters. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's a com- <laughs> he committed to the bit. <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough, fair enough. I, re- I respect um, it. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, it's whatever. I don't. Yeah, yeah. But what? So, but what? What I think would be the ideal situation? I think he should. I think he should hold on to that belief. I think that's a good, strong belief in a changing media landscape. That you know, it's like shooting on film where it's like, you know what, you know what's best for you. Like, you hold strong to your convictions. Don't just follow, Mm -hmm. like, what's easiest or where the money is. Like, Mm -hmm. you do you. Um, I I want him to hold on to that, and I want that to be, like, a thing and, like, have people be, like, really mad about it and stuff. And then also have him be like, this is what I believe, but then I had a conversation with Deborah Chow and I saw her vision and this is elevated television. That is film. This is the one exception I will make. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think it's kind of a, a, well, you know what? Hey, you are an, an artist, an actor, a performer, you know, you don't have to do anything you don't want to. And if you Mm -hmm. like film and you don't like TV, good for you. I was about to say it's kind of a bogus take. Um, But I do think it's like one of those, you know, the the comparison between film and digital in terms of, you know, the medium of of shooting uh, movies is a good one. Because I think it's like, it's one of those things where it is snobbish and um, it's not like there's no differences, but also, you know, a lot of it is just like, uh, it's just a stance people you know, took or, or have taken and then like, just, you know, don't want to deviate from it. Cause I think more and more and more it's, it's, you know, the line is blurred between, you know, even being able to tell if a film is shot on film or digital. In fact, I was just listening to a recent episode of blast points earlier today and they brought up the fact that, um, the last Jedi was like shot half on film and half on digital. And nobody knows what the hell scenes were shot on film and which, which were shot on (laughs) digital. You can't tell anyway. You know what I mean? And so, um, anyway, to bring it back to the Liam Neeson quote, it's like, sure. I mean, like if you're comparing, you know, movies to an episode of friends or Seinfeld or something, you know, um, not to say those aren't good shows, but just like, yeah, there's a big difference between your standard movie experience and then watching a sitcom or something, right? Like it's not quite the same thing, but there's so much in the last 10 or 15 years, there's been so much cinematic television that, you know, to be like, oh, well, it can only be, you know, I can only do it if it's on the big screen is kind of, I don't know. But I, I don't know. I think <laughs> this is a ridiculous debate to be having right now, but um, also important, I think, um, because I think the, like, there's good TV, there's good movies, there's shitty TV, there's shitty movies, like, that, you know, end up in theaters. Um I, I'm just so saying I for a long time, there wasn't really good TV, though. I mean, there was some good TV, but like a lot of TV was not anywhere near the level. And lately, there is a lot of TV that is, you know, like at yeah. a cinematic level. I think that has changed is all I'm I, saying. I think that that has changed to a degree. Um, but I think TV still kind of follows like the the more long term storytelling method. Like. Mm-hmm. For me, like I prefer going to films in the theater over watching a television series. Like if, you know, if someone was like, hey, um, you know, some show that I haven't watched, like, hey, Severance Severance is this two hour movie that you can go see in the theater. I would go see that. I'm probably never going to watch that show because I don't you know, it's years of commitment to whatever. And like, I just, I don't, I don't, you know, it's just, it's not the format for me. I also think things change, you know, you can have a different, and this is like that other debate of like, should you watch movies at home? Like, should things be streaming day one or should you see them in the theater? Like, should you watch a movie on your tablet? Should you watch a movie on your phone? Should you only watch with headphones or 
you know, a, a stereo surround sound system, whatever. Um, I think, you know, there is a theater going experience that, you know, really can't be replicated. Like it is that like experience where you're like, you are locked in this dark room with strangers and it is loud as hell. And like, Mm. you have no choice but to focus on what's in front of you, man. When I am like watching a, you know, a TV show or a movie or something at home, even like I have to use so much restraint to like not pick up my phone, not go like, you know, decide to go get food like from the kitchen, you know, not to go start a load of laundry, like whatever else. And so, yeah, I think like, I, I think, you know, that, uh, um, you know, the, the captive audience, part of film is like some people hate it and some people are like I never want to go to a movie theater again now that I can get everything at home and like I get that um but for me like that's just an experience like I would never want to give up and I feel like super strongly about it and mm. so like yeah I I do kind of like get where he's coming from from like that from my side of that perspective okay Okay. Uh, real quick, I just want to say that uh, I hope, well, I don't, you know, if he's in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, great. If he's not in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, great. Um, but I think some people would be upset by this. I would love it. I would love it if he's in the show and he is just straight up lying because somebody's asking him, oh, are you gonna, would you do Qui-Gon? And there's like no good way to maintain the surprise of him being back in the show. If you answer that question coyly, it's like, oh, well, he's probably in it. You know what I mean? I love the idea of him being like, no, I'm not in the show. I'm, I would only do it if it's a movie. And not only am I not in the Kenobi show, I wouldn't do a TV show for Disney. I would only do a movie. And then I tune in next month and then boom, Qui-Gon Jinn is in the show. I would love that. I think that'd be awesome. Some people would be like, oh my God, he lied to us. This is JJ lying about Khan being in the Star Trek thing. Whatever. I'm so pissed. Like, <laughs> Who cares? Lie to me all you want to. Like, If, it's, if I see the show and I'm surprised, then you did your job. It would be my take on that. But I, we got to keep going unless you have something you really like. Do, do, is that controversial of me to say? Or are you cool with with? Quiet no, I would um, prefer prefer um, art, like artists to lie about things than spoil okay. things um, yeah. or to like do the well, you'll just have to wait and see kind of right. like thing um, as well. Yeah, yeah I'm, we're not I'm entitled cool for Liam Neeson too. to tell us he's in the Qui-Gon show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, but it's I, okay. I also am very cool with this just being like a principle that he has, and I respect that yeah. a lot of that. Yeah. Even if well, I, I wonder if it's just his voice. His you know, I don't know if Qui-Gon ever uh, learned to um, uh, retain his his um, appearance in the Force. You know what I mean? He can communicate mm. through the Force, but can he actually present his his appearance in the Force? You know, as like a Force ghost or whatever. So maybe his voice is in the show, but not his appearance, and therefore he's not lying to us right now. You know what I mean? Certain maybe point that's of view. his attitude. Yeah. Mm. Um. Real quick, like super quick. There's promotional banners now for the Obi Wan Kenobi show that are popping up in actual stores. Um, so pictures of these have been floating around. They're being displayed in stores, um, and believe it or not, it is like Revenge of the Sith era like marketing where we've got Obi Wan and we've got Darth Vader. Um, and we've got blue and we've got red and we even see Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader clashing lightsabers in the middle of this image. So, um, couple things on this, uh, they're not being subtle about this duel of the century. I mean, they've been talking about it for like a year and a half now, so it's no surprise, but like they are selling the show based on Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader having a battle. So we know that's coming. Um, and I don't know what merchandise they're going to sell based on these promotional banners. I'm sure they have some like t-shirts or posters or, you know, something that they're selling. Um, who knows what else that, but they, you know, probably not toys. We can't have the toy conversation right now. We just absolutely cannot do it, but probably not toys. Maybe two years from now, there'll be toys. But anyway, my point is, um, there is some promotional stuff popping up in stores and, uh, I am going to be like, really excited if I walk into a target and see this banner. Um, even though I don't know what I would even like buy from it, but it just brings me back to the Halcyon days of 2015 and 2017 when star Wars releases were promoted with like banners and merchandise in stores, which 
I miss. So that's my take on the banner. Me too. All right. Okay. Real quick, let's talk about Star Wars Celebration, which is coming up next month. We're going to be there, Ryan. Also going to be there, Ewan McGregor, Kelly Marie, Kelly Marie Tran, and Billy Lord. Uh, they are the most recent names added to the list of uh, people coming to Star Wars Celebration. I think um, Ewan McGregor, obviously a super big deal. Uh, I expected him to be there, but I thought he would do the A-list star uh, version of going to celebration, which is you do the promotional panel and interview on the star Wars show, etc. Uh, but no, he's signing autographs and taking photos on Friday and Saturday of star Wars celebration. So that's pretty wild. Um, I think you said last week, like, yeah, he'll probably be there, but no way is he like signing autographs or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm really surprised. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it also, it also makes me think like maybe the Friday, maybe Friday will be a Kenobi panel or some kind of Kenobi you know, big push on, on Friday. Cause I mean, he'll probably be there Thursday too, I guess. Um, depending on what that Thursday new star Wars TV shows panel looks like, but if they really are saving like most of the Obi-Wan content for an Obi-Wan panel on Friday, I mean, that would make sense. Also, I think he lives in Los Angeles, so he could go Thursday and still come back Friday and Saturday and take photos and whatever. And it's no big deal. So it might have nothing to do with it, but, but yeah, um, it could make sense, right? If he's there for a panel on, on Friday that he would do photo ops and autographs that day as well. So, um, so photos or autographs are $300. Yep. So here's yep. what I'm thinking. Um, yeah. We split one down the middle and uh-huh. do a uh, blockade runner uh, promo shot um, of us hanging out with uh, hanging out with our friend Ewan McGregor and uh, our, our friend that we pay $300 to, to hang out with for 30 seconds. Um, I and, think the uh, ship has sailed on promoting this podcast though. Like, but you know, we, we could, we could like write it off as a business expense. Cause this is a, this is a small business. Ugh. Does it count? If you, if you've only ever lost money on something, does it count as a business? Yeah. Just a really bad one. Okay. Okay. It's still okay, business. Okay. Okay. There's right. like money being exchanged and there's like work happening. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. I thought That's you were going to, I thought you were going to have it. When you said you had an idea, I thought it was going to be very meme centric. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like some kind of like, you know, well, let's get a box and then like write high ground on it. And then we'll stand on the box next to Obi-Wan Kenobi in the photo or something. I thought that's the route you that, were going, Ryan. That's you just that want to use him to been, sell your podcast. That would have been so me. Cause I love star Wars memes so much. Yeah, Me too. I do too. I, I do think too, they're, actually. they're all hilarious, especially prequel ones that are like, oh, there will be 2000 high, high ground related. And know. Oh God. Sand. So funny, but there was a lot um, of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I saw a cute one though of Hayden Christensen from uh, uh, Celebration Chicago, like with a jar of sand or something. Like he seemed, he's an actor though, so I, I just thought of that. But he seemed genuinely amused by the by the whole thing. So hey, he pr- he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I can guarantee you, yeah. he, that was uh, that was some Navo shamanic acting right there, because yeah. uh, there's no way at this point, like any anyone involved in those films is amused by any of that bullshit. Well, I think it's really cool that Ewan is is doing the full thing. He's doing the photos. Yeah. He's doing the the autographs. I think it's uh, a generous thing for Star Wars fans um, mm-hmm. from a star of his caliber, and um, hopefully, you know. Or not even hopefully, but I just think it, it just feels like uh, a good time for Star Wars and Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen and all these prequel, um, you know, stars who had a rough go of things for a while. We've talked about it, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, another another nice kind of like it's a, it's a good time to be Ewan McGregor and, and talk about Star Wars and, and enjoy Star Wars, um, whereas maybe there was a while there where that wasn't so much the case. So I totally. think that's good. Totally. Hey, um, on that note, Kelly Marie Tran coming to celebration is yep. pretty exciting, right? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. 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 So that's cool. Um, uh, I didn't actually look into it to see, is she doing photo ops and autographs and stuff like that? Is that what she's probably coming to do? I guess. I mean, unless, <laughs> unless she's on a panel, which I mean, but they, be... they do so many, I mean, they could do like the women of star Wars panel, or it could be, they could find some unifying theme between a couple different actors and have them do a panel together or whatever, you know? So, yeah. um, but pr- probably she's doing, I mean, I'm sure she's doing autographs and photos. 
the internet is at my fingertips so I could look it up and see, but I'm pretty sure she is. And so, um, but I, I, I guess what I'm saying, since I'm not going to buy an autograph or photo, I hope to see her in some panels as well, or a panel or mm-hmm. something, you know, that would be good. Um, and maybe the star Wars show, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and same good. for Billy Lord, of course. Yep. Good. Good to have her back after all the bullshit she had to go through from like garbage star Wars fans. Yeah, of course. Yeah. People. So, um, I hope, yeah. She and hopefully can, it's uh, a, s- Hopefully she can get her flowers here in the yeah. same way like Ahmed Best did at the last one. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and maybe this is naive, maybe, but maybe uh, hopefully a, a sign of uh, a changing tide in terms of just like Star Wars fan sentiment. Not that like the worst fans won't find some new target to pick on probably at some point mm-hmm. or whatever, but it would be nice if uh, for Kelly Marie Tran that that era was kind of behind her for the most part, and um, she could you know, just kind of get the good vibes from most Star Wars fans now after, you know, dealing with a ton of bullshit for a long time. So, yeah. Yeah. I think like those people are now like pissed at He-Man or something. Um, (laughs) I think like that, that group may have like, may have moved on past Star Wars and Mm. like very mad at turning red as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. So yeah, hopefully they can just go, um, you know, hopefully the trash has been taken out. Um, and we can move on with our lives and celebrate. We better order Kelly Marie Tran good movies. Yeah, we better order Kelly Marie Tran a, a Rose Tico coffee mug from our whatever store that we have that sells mm. stuff that sold stuff at one time. Um, yeah, and give it to I, her. I saw some definitely some see her somewhere. I, I, if I if I saw her, I'd there we go. I'll br- there I'll you go. One. That would work. Yeah, that would work. That'd be nice. All right, cool. All right, Ryan, I got to end this Star Wars podcast now. Um, I have to go try to install a hitch on a car, which I've never done before, but um, uh, Godspeed Rebels to me. So I'm going to do that this afternoon. So we've got to wrap up this show. Um, Thanks again for listening. Uh, If you want to find more of our episodes, blog posts, et cetera, all of that stuff is at blockheadrunnerpodcast.com. If you want to reach out to the show and share your thoughts on any of these topics or other Star Wars related things, you can email the show at blockheadrunnerpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter, message us there, interact there. Uh, The show's Twitter account is at blockheadrun. And Ryan, you are on Twitter at? Via Malay, V-A-Y-A-M-A-L-A-Y. All right, very good. So thanks again for listening, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Blockade Runner podcast. We are all the Republic. <laughs>